Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. All right. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Joining us is Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette and Baltimore Sun Newspapers. And our producer is Chris Cervello. Chris and Wags are currently down in Florida where they were front and center to an unbelievable victory um, over the weekend on Saturday. And this is your post-game report brought to you by New Day USA. Uh, we're going to break it down here really quick before Wags, Keenan, and EK get more into the X's and O's. And what a bunch of X's and O's there were. Sophomore fullback Daba Fofana rushed for 114 yards. Again, I submit that someone has to handcuff themselves to him and make sure he signs his two for seven uh, next summer. And senior striker John Marshall recorded a school record four sacks to lead Navy to a very improbable 17-14 victory down there in Orlando, uh, a very full stadium at FBC Mortgage Stadium, which just has a certain feel to it. I mean, what a great name. It's like Joe Robbie or I can't even think of any other good stadium, but that's a crappy name, and we won in that stadium. So, Wags, you were front and center. Tell us about what happened because the defense was obviously so good that John Marshall was not just the NAAA uh, player of the week. He was not just the American athletic conference player of the week. He was the college football defensive player of the week, obviously a very deserved honor. Well, it was a spectacular performance by the Navy defense, but the Navy, Navy offense deserves credit as well, holding onto the ball for almost 40 minutes. That's a, the perfect recipe for Navy is uh, dominate possession and then the defense gets stops, and the defense did a good job of forcing Central Florida to settle for two field goals in the first half. I thought that was crucial. And also a, a key element in my mind was that the Navy defense showed that it, that it was not going to allow anything on the ground. Central Florida had trouble running the ball, and that led head coach Gus Malzahn at halftime to decide to switch out quarterbacks. He went with Mikey Keene who's more of a pure passer, a better thrower than John Reese Plumley, But I think that played into Navy's favor because Plumley really caused some conflicts because you couldn't really blitz him and go after him because he's so adept at escaping the pocket and scrambling and he can really hurt you with his legs. So I think ultimately it benefited Navy because they could just pin their ears back and go after uh, Mikey Keene. And that's what happened. Uh, obviously five total sacks four by John Marshall, who was simply unbelievable. I mean, he, he he played like a man possessed. Ten tackles, that is a single-game school record for sacks. He now holds the single-season record for sacks with ten and a half. He surpassed Tyler Tidwell, who had ten in 2005. Uh, but a great performance overall by the Navy defense. I mean, you win 17-14, that's, that's the defense. But it, even though the, the numbers may not appear that the offense had a great day, the ability to possess the ball was crucial, John. 
Well, I'll throw it over to Chris Cervello, and that was a great segue, Wags, in that I, I exchanged texts with Chris during the game as it was getting pretty close to uh, crunch time, and Chris's comment was, we haven't completed a pass, not a good sign. Well, Navy is now 8-1 and one all-time in games during the Ken Niamatololo era in games where they haven't completed a single pass. And while it was unbelievable that we didn't complete a single pass, it worked. So I've got to take my, you know, tip my cap to Xavier Arline and the rest of the offense for getting it done in a very predictable scenario. I actually exchanged, uh, you know, Twitter messages this week um, with a member of Xavier Arline's family about his ability to run the offense. And holy cow, did he run the offense, Chris Cervello? And we got it done without completing a pass. And I have to ask you, I saw real tears from Ken Niamatololo in the post-game interview. How important was this win for him? Well, I think it was important for everyone in the Navy family, uh, starting with uh, Coach Niamatololo. Uh, very important for Xavier uh, and certainly important for the fan base. So great win for them. The only thing I would add, you know, in addition to all the great things that WAGs hit on, I think we do have to figure a way to have the type of game that we had on Saturday, but yet still throw the ball. So we didn't complete a pass. We won. That's all that matters. But I, I would love for them to figure a way. And we'll talk about it when we, uh, you know, have uh, Keenan and Eric on. What can this offense do with Xavier um, to change some of that, you know, to get five or six passes under their belt? Can they roll them out? Can they, uh, you know, go from the shotgun? What can be done to, uh, to make it so that we're not solely one-dimensional? Yeah, Wags, I'm a huge conspiracy theorist. I have to imagine that the American Athletic Conference leadership was not pumped about Navy rolling into Orlando and taking out their golden goose, um, a Central Florida team that with all of the tumult in front of them uh, really could have vaulted up the standings. And now they've lost a chance to host the AAC championship game and they have to beat a very bad South Florida team before playing the, uh, the winner of next week's Tulane Cincinnati game. How big was this for our national profile to beat number one, a ranked team um, in the midst of a bad season and then unleashing so much tumult in the American Athletic Conference? This is just a great win for the program. Well, it's a huge win for Navy. And I'll first start off by saying it's you got to feel good for those players because they have continued to work hard. And Coach Ken Niamatololo referenced that Tuesday was miserable in Annapolis. It was freezing cold. It was raining. It was just so nasty. And, you know, he's wondering what kind of practice performance he'd get from the players. And they showed up and just, you know, got to it, put the nose to the grindstone, really gave a good practice. And it, it just meant so much to him. I mean, things have been not going well. You lose a close one at Cincinnati. You lose a close one in which you rallied, but you still lose to Notre Dame. And it's just, you never know what you're going to get at this point. You're facing Central Florida on the road. You look, you're a major underdog again for the third straight week. And he's just been so impressed with the way this team has continued to work and grind. And, and I'm glad for the players to see a reward. It's a great victory. It really means a lot for this season. It changes the complexion of the season quite a bit. I agree with, with Chris on that. Um, but you're right, John. Central Florida losing is not good for the American Athletic Conference because they were in the strongest position to represent as the group of five uh, 
team going to a New Year's Six Bowl. But I think that ultimately, whatever team does come out as the American Athletics Co- Athletic Conference champion will still be in the hunt for the group of five berth. Tulane and Cincinnati are both uh, only have one loss within the league, but they play each other next week. And so one of them's going to take a loss. And because Central Florida has head-head over both Cincinnati and Tulane, they will, as you mentioned, move into the championship game against either Tulane or Cincy. But I think whoever ends up coming out of that game still has a chance to get that New Year's Six Bowl with John. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. And now, you know, as we talked about last week, we have a full three weeks before the Army-Navy game. Uh, And that gives us a chance to bring you a whole lot of awesome content. Number one, we're going to take a majority of Thanksgiving week off, but no rest for the wicked around here. We're going to be bringing you all of the results from the other sports um, and, and give you a preview as we go into December. We've got some great pods lined up in December. Former quarterback and former commandant of midshipmen, uh, Bill Byrne, is going to join the podcast. We've got some other awesome guests coming in as we lead up to Army-Navy. And then, as always, Chris Wags and I will drive up the 95 corridor. Maybe we'll go Eastern Shore route. Who knows? But we'll get up there and bring you all the action from Philly for the Army-Navy game. Hey, before we go to break and bring in EK, Keenan, and Wags to get into the X's and O's more, let's congratulate some of the guys who not only went down to Central Florida and got a huge win, but had some great service assignments. Kip Franklin, the uh, the co-captain, is a Navy pilot. Um, can't wait to see him you know, wedge into a, a cockpit. That'll be fun to watch. Uh, John Marshall, who had such a great game, got selected for information professional. And Bijan Nichols, uh, the other co-captain, got submarines for a full list of what all the football players got for service assignment check out their page at NavySports.com. Hey, Wags, before we go to break and bring in Keenan and Eric, any last observations from you? Well, just uh, they've got three weeks to get ready for Army, and I think that's more time than it's been for a while. I think it's been two weeks, and, of course, the year that Navy played the American Athletic Conference, they had less than one week to get ready. So three-week break, that's plenty of time to get healthy, uh, dial in a game plan, and go get a win against the Black Knights. Go get a win against the Black Knights, indeed. Chris Cervello, uh, we've got a great week ahead of us. We're going to be talking about the Army-Navy uniform reveal. We're going to be talking to our favorite women's basketball analyst, Ashley Pelzik. Uh, What else are you looking forward to, and what are your final observations of this game, a game that I think is probably their biggest win in five years? Well, I think it is their biggest win in in a number of years. But when you look at how they played against Cincinnati, when you look at how they played against Notre Dame and then the win against UCF, um, they have comported themselves quite well on national television over the last three weeks um, after a lot of criticism by us as well as others. That, that this was a down year, that it you know wasn't the greatest signs for a program that everybody had been so high on. So, gosh, I mean, Ken, uh, the image of Ken just, you know, crying tears of joy, um, it, it, that's going to stick with me for a while um, as I, I felt so great for him and I felt great for the fans and all of the brotherhood um, that, that hung with this team. I mean, John, we have a real shot to be five and seven. It's not what we wanted, but five and seven with what we went through this year is not horrible. Um, and, uh, you know, it gives us something to build on uh, for, for next year. Now, I don't want to put the cart before the horse because it's three weeks to Army. We got to go into Philly and beat Army. But, 
um, th this is a good win and uh, it's going to stick with us for a while. Yeah, for sure. Um, you tell me another team that loses its starting quarterback mid-year plays in a conference uh, where this past weekend, three other teams were ranked uh, and they come out five and seven, particularly playing by different rules with no COVID years, no grad transfers, none of the crap. Again, I'll, I'll hitch my wagon to what Kenny and the rest of these guys are selling any day of the week. Um, and as we go out and uh, bring in Eric and Keenan for more analysis, I'll say this. One of the indelible images of Saturday was not only Kenny's tears of joy, but what he did before that. Uh, he was about to get doused with a Gatorade bucket, you know, and the players were so excited. They knew what it meant to him. He is rolling out there to congratulate Gus Malzahn. He can sense like any good defense, like he's the, he's back in the pocket as a quarterback. He senses the defense. He knows that they're coming with the bucket. He shuts them down, makes them put down the bucket and points to Gus Malzahn and is like, I'm going to congrat. I'm going to say, you know, my respects to Gus Malzahn. They put the bucket down and as ESPN went to commercial, they were showing the bucket still on the field, still filled with water. That is someone who has the respect of his players. That is someone who has my respect. And I tip my cap. Great win for Navy football. Great leadership from Ken Niamatololo. And I can't be any more proud to do a podcast about the Naval Academy physical mission after watching what we watched Saturday. For more on that, we're going to bring in Keenan and EK to deliver the analysis with WAG. Stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. As John mentioned, this is an extended version of the weekend wrap-up as we take some extra time with the guys from the Navy football podcast to break down the X's and O's from the exciting win over Central Florida. Before we get to Bill, Eric, and Keenan, a few words from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. Mark your calendars for the weekend of November 26 and 27 and make plans to visit Navy's Winter Wonderland at Alumni Hall. Navy men's basketball hosts Mount St. Mary's at 11 a.m. on the 26th, and the Navy women's basketball team will be hosting the annual Navy Classic all weekend long. Throughout the weekend, fans can visit the Winter Wonderland, which will be filled with holiday activities for kids of all ages. And the best part, admission to all five games being played at Alumni Hall that weekend is free. And speaking of kids, the Kid Shipman Club is the official kids club of Navy Athletics. For just $20, your membership includes exclusive gifts, free tickets to Navy sporting events, a birthday card from Bill the Goat, and more. To register, visit NavySports.com. Now back to the pod. Welcome to the Navy Football Podcast brought to you by New Day USA. I'm Bill Wagner with the Capitol Gazette and Baltimore Sun newspaper, longtime Navy athletics beat writer. And I'm joined by my co-hosts, Eric Catani and Keenan Reynolds, former Navy football players who both had spent time in the NFL. This is the Central Florida Navy postgame report. And it's a happy day on Sunday evening with Navy having picked up a huge victory, probably the best win for Navy in three seasons since 2009. I think Navy beat a ranked SMU squad that season. And uh, this was uh, Central Florida was 17th in the Associated Press poll, 20 in the college football playoff poll. And this was the sixth win over an AP ranked team during the 15 year tenure of Navy head coach Kenny Amatololo. Guys, let's start with the defense. 
the second half defense was, well, the whole game was tremendous, but the second half was just unbelievable. Totally shut down Central Florida. John Marshall, the outside linebacker, striker, played like a man possessed. Ten tackles, four sacks. That's a single-game record for sacks. He now, as we talked about earlier with John Schofield, he has ten and a half sacks on the season. That is a single-season record, breaking that held by Tyler Tidwell from 2005. Uh, what can you say about that Navy defensive effort? Uh, Central Florida got into the red zone twice, and Navy – forced field goals so that's kind of the old school navy bend but don't break and then you know just made big play after big play and the key was at the very end there in the fourth quarter central florida had to go for it on fourth and four because time was running out and they knew they may not get the ball back with the way navy had been possessing the ball so they went for it and uh and bd williams jumped the slant route and made the pass deflection and turned the ball over to navy which never gave it up ran out the last five plus minutes of the game Eric, your thoughts on this defense? Incredible. Holding that team to only 14 points. Um, it just it's, – it's fun to watch, right? And then it's the same thing of, of – you know, you said the second half was good. Well, the Notre Dame second half was even ha as good, right? Holding Notre Dame to 14 yards. Um, the defense played lights out. And, man, four sacks. I have not seen that in a very long time in, in any – game right and any any team um so four sacks is unbelievable and also causing a strip sack with a turnover as well so he played lights out coach newberry um he is he is whatever he's talked about he makes adjustments and and i think of our offense was uh, you know a little better a little more explosive you know the, the xavier explosive i think we could have won some more games easier um you know if our offense showed up in the you know three four games you know we, we could be in a bowl game easier right now and also we should have beat Notre Dame and, you know, we could have been six games bowl eligible and you know, running the army. I'm excited to see a uh, coach there taking a week off to get their bodies right. And then I'm excited to see what they could, uh, you know, drum up against army. Yeah. I think when Navy looks back and reflects on this season, the 14, seven loss to Delaware in the opener is really hurts because if you win that game, which you should have won, you have a chance to be six and six and go to a bowl and then, that of course, that changes the script. That changes the script of everybody's tone. I agree 100%, Eric. Even while we're still on defense, I mean, that that, that was a tremendous performance. Uh, it was interesting. Navy shut down the Central Florida running game in the first half, and the head coach for Central Florida, Gus Malzone, basically decided, we can't run on this team, so we're just going to throw it. So we switched out quarterbacks, and I was telling John Schofield during our discussion that, you know, I thought, that favored Navy because John Reese Plumley was a running threat and they were reluctant to blitz him because he could escape the pocket and really hurt them with his feet. Whereas Mikey Keene, who came in and played the second half, is more of a you know pocket quarterback, not as nearly any as much of a running threat. And they were able to really go after him. And that's why John Marshall had four sacks. That's why Navy had five sacks overall and really pressured him. Um, your thoughts on the defense and uh, the one only one drive. The one drive where Central Florida scored a touchdown in the, right at the beginning of the second half, that's the only time Navy got the ball thrown over their heads. There were two passes, long passes on that drive. But other than that, the, the secondary held up well. Uh, in fact, John Marshall, I believe, said that this was the best game that the back end had played all season. I agree. That uh, we, we talked about like a few pods back about like what's it going to take for like Navy to, to win and get over the hump. I think it was like going into Cincinnati 
And the one thing that we kept talking about, kept harping on was like limiting the explosives, right? Like if you're giving up six, seven, eight explosive plays, plays in a pass game, you really kill your, your, your chances. And like really any like work you're doing on stopping the run gets, gets blunted, right? By giving up huge plays in a pass game. So when you only keep it, you keep it to less than three explosive plays in a pass game, that's, that's huge, right? One touchdown drive in the second half, huge. Like red zone defense was great. Third down defense was great. We got we got the ball out twice. Um, you know, obviously the five sacks did all the things that we needed to do to win the game. Very explosive offense. Um, very you know storied coordinator with a lot of history who has coached a lot of great offenses. Um, so to do what we did, man, that was that was just fantastic. I mean, you talk about like the last three quarters of football the Navy defense played. Like I don't know what I don't know what Coach Newberry said at halftime of the game, but whatever he did, he needs to keep saying that every single day, uh, after every practice, before every game, and at every half because they they came out like a different defense and they've played that way the last three three halves of football. So you know you know hats off to them and uh, that was a that was probably the, the best team win. Uh, and I mean you could you could talk about Tulsa, but like against a top twenty five team, that was an incredible team win. Hey, Ken, I was um, you know, thinking too, like you know, talking about um, the defense, right? You know, Coach Nemot realized he did this game. He didn't defer the coin toss. He elected to take the ball, and he wanted them to act fast. And I think it's also to get the defense back in their second half, and then you know, just stopping them and getting the momentum back in the second half as well. Yeah, I was surprised uh, to see him to see him not defer. You know, obviously that's usually the default choice when you win the toss, but. I think one of the points that was made in the broadcast and that I kind of agreed with was just like, we've consistently played from behind all year long. We've, we've not been able to get off to good starts. And then, you know, we take the ball, we go 75 yards in seven, eight minutes and score a touchdown. That's Navy football. Like that's, that's what we're used to, right? The 13, 14 play drive out the gate for a touchdown. That just takes the momentum out of a team, out of a stadium, especially on the road. And then your defense is hyped up. They're fired up and like, okay, our guys are coming to play. And now they come in and get a stop and go and make them go three and out, right? You know, for out the bat. So, you know, that that first drive, whether it's on defense or offense, but really just the way our offense has been playing all year, to have that first drive look the way it did and end in the touchdown, I think that really set the tone for the entire game. And once I saw that happen and then the, the resulting three and out, I was like, okay, you know, th- this this looks like a team that I know they can be. And, you know, it came to fruition throughout the game. Yeah, that's a really good point that Eric makes because Coach Nehemiah normally just automatically defers, but he had a plan. He wanted to get the ball, the lead to start this game. And uh, amazing stat, fellas, that is the first time all season that Navy has scored a touchdown on its opening possession. Unbelievable that we're 10 games or 11 games into the season, and that was the first time that Navy scored a touchdown on its first possession. And, it's exactly right. In all of Navy's losses this season, they have fallen behind at the beginning. The opponent has scored first. So good move by Coach Nehemiah. Let's talk about the offense. The numbers may not think show that the offense had a great game, but they did because they held the ball for almost 40 minutes. Long drives, milking the clock, kept that you know powerful Central Florida offense, which was averaging like 34 points and 500 yards unbelievable numbers that the offense for Central Florida have been putting up. So kept that explosive offense off the field. Uh, Xavier continues to show that he can run the triple option. They're running far more triple 
with Xavier than they did with Ty. And uh, Daba Fafana, the fullback, has really established himself. 114 yards rushing. That's his third 100 rushing yard game. And he keeps breaking out with these big, long runs, Eric. You oh, he is he is the man. He's like a, his leg. He's some big legs, by the way. I was watching him run. He's not that tall, but he's, he's got big legs. And he's got great balance. Real good balance and kind of like instinctive vision. Uh, you're making those the cuts. And that's where the big runs are coming from. He's, he's cutting where he, he should have at the right time. And he's got that explosive speed. So I love seeing that. Um, tell Navy football, Keenan, uh, zero pass yards. Um, and then the other thing that um, I listened to the post game, I think it was, was Dabba. He goes, we want to do 40 for 40. He goes, we yeah. want to score 40, 40 points or more or, or, or hold the ball 40 minutes, you know, which is, you know, two-sided, right, is you, you know, do the 14 play drives and, you know, they last forever or you you be explosive and make big plays. So that's either 40 or 40. And the last thing I want to hit on is the score, right? We won by three. Field goal. He, he makes a difference. We, we talked about where's he been all – 45 yards. Yeah, where's he been all year, right? That is you step yep. up. If, 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 he did, if he didn't make that kick, right – then we're at then we're in OT. That's not good for us. We we want to score. We want to win, and especially against a top, you know, twenty five team. Dude, kudos, good job, coach. Good job, team. Uh, I think if Bijan Nichols is healthy all season, Navy might have won one or two more games because there's some games in which missed field goals were really costly. And you're right, Eric. He has range. That that was the game winning field goal, and it was from forty five yards. So I don't think Daniel Davies has that type of range. So that was huge. Uh, Keenan, I'm going to have Chris Cervello talk to you about the one pass completion, but um, wanted you to just talk about the way you see the option running and uh, obviously getting the fullback going. And Daba said that he scored that one long run was on a um, fullback trap that he broke loose. And the other play I loved is that he had another long run in which he got stopped at the line of scrimmage, but he kept his feet moving, kept his eyes aware, and he slipped out the back door and got like 25 yards on a play that looked like it was stopped for nothing. Um, but another play I really like, Keenan, and Mike James with the mid-report, who was on with us pregame pod, uh, pointed out that the not being able to cut, black up, cut block on the perimeter is really hurts that, that quick pitch. You can't run the cut quick pitch because you can't get the guy on the ground. The slot can't get the guy on the ground. And by not being able to get perimeter defenders on the ground, they are able to string the play out. And I like Navy's counter. They have are running the jet sweep, bring the slot back in motion and run a jet sweep. And that way you can get blockers out in front of him. And that's how Vincent Terrell scored the one touchdown. So you tell me your thoughts on what you saw from the overall off. Yeah, first of all, uh, goose egg in the turnover column. Like, I don't, I don't think we could overstate that enough. Like taking care of the football with the offense that we run, um, especially with the way that game was going, a turnover probably loses us the game we had two really good drives where we were, go, we were able to put together touchdown uh touchdown drives and they were really long it was a ball control game 40 minute possession game so in those types of games the reason why you're doing that is because you know that the opposing offense at any time can make a big play and score a touchdown and we and i'm sure that coach newberry uh recognized that and in their staff meetings they had they probably were talking like hey um you know, we got to possess the ball this week because this is a really, really tough offense. So, you know, hats off to them for taking care of the football because that really 
allows you to have that ball control offense, picking up first downs on, on third and medium. I saw a lot of third and fives, third and sixes, more than I've seen this season uh, getting converted on the ground. So I was really happy to see that. Um, as far as like the way X played, uh, sometimes like the, the thing about running a triple at quarterback is like sometimes it's not going to be a massive stat game for you, right? Like, so we didn't have any passing yards. Um, he didn't, he only had like 25 yards rushing on 18 carries. So he didn't really tear it up running it, but he was operating the offense. And sometimes that's all you have to do when you're running a triple. Like sometimes just the B back or the A's that make, that make all the plays, right? So, you know, you can't, even though the stat column doesn't look like it, I, I know that X probably likely graded out really well um, with the way he operated the offense. Um, as far as like getting on the perimeter, I thought the A's ran really tough. I thought there were a couple of plays where we did get the pitch out on the perimeter and there was a lot of bodies out there and them guys put their foot in the ground. They got vertical. There's nothing wrong with five to six yards on, a, on an A-back pitch. I know we're so used to, as Navy football pants, plans, fans, excuse me, uh, we're so used to like A's get the ball, 15 plus yard run, right? When guys are on, on the ground, but it's a new, it's a new era. It's a new type of game. Can't do that anymore. So I think it's really on the A-backs to be more physical running and blocking. And I thought they did a really good job of that. I like some of the misdirection stuff they were doing. They ran like a little misdirection option play and they run in that jet sweep. But I thought both of those plays uh, look really good, especially in the red zone. So, um, you know, like I said, just, just hats off to them finding a way to get it done. Doesn't matter really how it looked or how, what the stat sheet says as long as we got more points at the end. Well, Coach Niamatololo was very uh, praiseworthy of Xavier and said that he feels he's run the offense great the last three weeks that he's been the starter, Cincinnati, Notre Dame, and uh, now against Central Florida. Um, So I'm going to bring Chris in because on the way back from the game, we were discussing things, and we did – now, the one pass attempt was partly by design because this was a game they wanted to possess the ball. And, by the way, I'll just mention a few other stats because – you know, Xavier did not have a big game rushing, but that's because this was more of a fullback slot back game. We mentioned Daba Fafana, but backup fullback Anton Hall chipped in 37 yards. And the two slots, Vincent Terrell Jr. and Mikel Haywood had 41 and 36 yards. So that's where the bulk of yards came from, the fullbacks and the slots. Um, but, you know, passing is going to be crucial going forward as Xavier's quarterback. He does not look real comfortable as a pocket passer, he's only about five foot nine, generously listed at five nine. So he doesn't have great visions being able to see over the offensive line, the offensive and defensive lines. So, you know, Chris and I opine, maybe you, you roll out. Um, but I, I'm going to bring Chris on to ask you guys the question. But, you know, we wonder, you know, there is a couple third and eight, third and nine. It's obvious passing situation. If you know it's a passing situation, why not bring Masai Maynard in who's a clearly a better passer and let him throw the ball. Um, and, you know, maybe Masai has to run an option play once in a while just to keep teams honest. But, Chris, come in here and give us your thoughts because this is something you feel is important as we go forward. Yeah, I mean, I look, I mean, we're at a point in the podcast that we now can have this conversation because we won and we covered all the good stuff. So now it's like, you know, nit- nitpick just a touch. One pass attempt, you know, being that unbalanced, not that it's a, a recipe for disaster, but I, I think that if we could figure a way with a guy like Xavier to, you know, throw the ball five, six times or or make the pass on, you know, third and eight, third and nine when you're off schedule to make that viable, I, I think it would just, you know, be additional arrow, uh, arrows in the quiver. Keenan, I want to start with you. As you watch him, uh, and I'm talking about Xavier, as you watch him drop back, 
Um, can you talk a little bit about his footwork? Are you happy with what you see? And, and if not, what could he work on? And then how could they be more effective with the pass if they decided that that's something that they wanted to do? Yeah, all great points. Um, I, I, I just want to back up for a second on X. Like, so his freshman year was the COVID year, right? 2020. That spring, I don't think Navy football had a spring ball, correct? Is that correct? Coming out of 2020, the COVID year? Yes, you are correct. Yeah, I mean, you're making, I know the point you're getting to. He's basically like a he has, Yeah, So he hasn't had a spring, like a full spring, where he has been able to be in the trenches, no game plan, game plan prep, no trying to win a job. Like he has not had a spring where he can just get comfortable in the pocket, making through. That's where you make those leaps, right? Like you're not, no matter how good or good you were in in high school, like spring ball in college is where you really get better because in the fall, like fall training camp, you're prepping to win a job or you're prepping for a season. But spring, there's like there's no agenda but get better. There's no agenda but but repetition. So I think the answer to your question is it's probably all the above. It's probably footwork. It's probably not being comfortable in the pocket. And I think all those things can be remedied with an all, a full off season, knowing he likely will be the starter especially if he beats Army, um, and being the only quarterback really with experience on the roster that's healthy, he's going to be the guy in the spring. So that is a chance for him to take a massive leap in throwing the football and getting comfortable in the pocket. But it's going to take reps. It's going to take time in Halsey, you know, when, when workouts are over. It's going to take, you know, really like watching the film and looking at what could I have done better? Why am I so uncomfortable? Where should my eyes be? understanding defenses because if you know where the ball is supposed to go like you can be way more comfortable in the pocket as soon as you hit your your back your back step you know where i'm supposed to be if it's not there i know where i need to get to so like i think it's, it's just like a full circle thing it's repetitions as a starter it's comfortability in the pocket it's spring ball it's understanding defenses it's understanding the play and who you're trying to affect like it's not just one specific thing like oh if he just gets quicker feet he'll throw better like it's a it's a full scope thing and it's just i think over time, it, it, it will get better. I think it'll be a massive leap because I think he's playing with a ton of confidence right now. And the good and the thing about confidence is this compounding, right? And things and you continue to you continuously get better and better and better. And it compounds greatly when you're playing with a lot of confidence. So he gets this win against Army. You go into the offseason feeling great about yourself. You're the starter. You're the guy in the spring. You're playing with a ton of confidence and you're motivated to get better. I think we can see a, a major leap. But I, I think it's unreasonable to expect something like that to happen over the next two weeks. Like he can make it a little bit better, just, you know, be a little bit better during Army camp. But I think the real growth is going to come in offseason. Well, let, let me pull on that just for a second. You mentioned confidence, and I, I think that's the perfect word for X. But, you know, as the leader of the offense, the, the entire offensive unit, really, the, the last two, and you could even say three games as they've started to play well w- with X. What does three weeks off do? Um, it, are, are they related? Are you able to maintain that confidence or do you lose a little bit of that with, uh, you know, Thanksgiving and, and, and three weeks off? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I'm actually a little, just a tiny bit concerned with the whole week off. Uh, I know that like being a player, I would have like cried tears of joy if I found out we got the whole week off after a win. Um, I only got to enjoy Thanksgiving, I think twice in my career. And I'm pretty sure we practiced on Monday and Tuesday uh, of Thanksgiving week. But so, so, but I mean, you got to think these guys haven't had a bye week since like what week two, maybe. 
so they've been grinding and they've been playing some really, really good football teams and they just finished one of the toughest stretches in the country. So I, I understand, you know, why Coach Nehemiah is giving them this week off. I, I think that you continue, you just compact, like when you get on a practice field again, you just feel really good about yourself. You just knocked off a top 20 team. You know that you can play with the big dogs. You know, you got this army team coming in. It's a huge game. You're motivated to like, to really lock in and get in and, and buy into army camp. So I, I don't think it's a negative. I think if they come back healthy, mentally refreshed, physically refreshed, they can be very productive over these next two weeks and kind of keep that, that momentum train going. Well, it's interesting because that is a good point Chris makes. I'm looking at the media guide, and I can't find the last time that Navy had three weeks off between its final regular season game and, and the Army game. They, In fact, there's been a couple seasons where they had only one week. It would In 2020, due to COVID, they had to play a makeup game with Tulsa on December 5th and then played Army the following Saturday. That was not ideal. And the same thing with the year that they played in the American Athletic Conference Championship was only a one-week difference. But I'm going back way, you know, I'm back to 2009 and beyond, and I can't find a two more than a two-week lag between Army-Navy. Eric, your thoughts on this? And do you give the guys this whole week off, let them go home and do Thanksgiving and then just start Army prep, the mon- not this Monday, but the following? Yeah, I agree with Keenan. That's uh... a... <clears throat> We talked about the early bye week and you know how we didn't like that as well. Um, say that you know with bowl games, you take you know, a week off or you know get back at it, and it's a long season. Especially, like he was saying, I was never home for Thanksgiving, um, so it's good for the guys, good for the families. Um, and then you know, Army for me, you know, I look at them; they're they're they play a really easy schedule. Um, they're playing UMass, and UMass is like the worst team in the league or the whole NCAA right now. Um so they're gonna win this game. They'll be five and five or five and six. And then you know we get we we're gonna ruin their bull hopes. So I'm just ready to one crush army um and move on to next year as all the coaches said a lot of players said um this team is young. We we knew that from from day one. Um you know not the many seniors in this team. So I'm excited to see what happens with the progression of next year. Uh, you know, who we bring in for recruits and also progression of uh, X and, and the whole defense and offense as a whole. Well, yeah, Army just beat another team that's terrible, Connecticut, 34-17. Connecticut Connecticut's is so bad. They play, like, they play the yeah. Citadel, too. And, like, they're barely, barely an FBI program. No, the only team they play was legit. It was Coastal Carolina. They're, I think they're 23 in the nation right now. But that was the first game of the year, or first game of the season, so no one knew who they were. Yeah, well, we were debating this. I think Navy will be favored over Army, but we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Army-Navy game. Uh, we got three weeks b- before, and we'll try to bring a couple special pods and get some special guests on. Um, but uh, that's the wrap on Navy Central Florida postgame report. Great win for Navy. Now 4-7 uh, and seven going into the final game of the year against Army. And last thing I'll throw out there, guys, is that if Navy beats Army, they would have five wins. They'd be five and seven. There are situations if they do not have enough bowl-eligible teams to fill the bowls, they can go and get a five-win team to fill in. Um, it's based on academic performance rate or academic progress rate, I think, APR. And the weird thing is Navy doesn't have a very good one because so many members of what would be is the current senior class left the academy and i i don't know that that's fair that guys leaving your 
your program, leaving your, your institution get held against you as far as academic progress rate, but that's the formula. And unfortunately, Navy's not going to have a great APR because so many members of the class of 2022, well, actually the class of 2023, I'm sorry, are gone from the Navy football program. Pretty odd, huh? That's super strange because we're usually a uh, graduation rate of 97 to 99%. Um, and the, actually, Admiral Brock bought this, brought this up in a meeting. I guess Air Force's graduation rate as a whole is like 71% or something compared to our, our, our nice 10% for athletes. But I'm assuming Scott Strasburg is going to fact check me on that one. So thanks, Scott. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's kind of odd. Uh, it seems like a bit of a weird way to measure, like, academic performance. I mean, I get it, but I don't know. It's, I think like these circumstances are a bit different considering the fact that, you know, we had COVID and that just like absolutely blew up everybody's plans and processes. So, um, you know, hopefully we, you know, we went, we, we, uh, we get lucky and get dropped into a five uh, as a five and seven team. So bowl game, that'd be pretty awesome. But uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not gonna put any money on that though. All right. Well, that's the Navy central Florida post game report. Uh, we're probably going to take a week off and get into Army the following week. We'll do a pod during the week, and then obviously we'll gear up and uh, really hit it hard in the week of the Army-Navy game. Uh, this is Bill Wagner for Keenan Reynolds, Eric Catani, and our producer, Chris Cervello. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show, and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.